Good morning, my name is Jerome. Um, I'm the Associate Minister here at St Mark's and uh, we are beginning a new series. Um, some people hate preparation. They, they, they just want to arrive. Preparation, waiting for the finished product or waiting to arrive at a destination, it's that waiting, it's that stage before actually getting there that's difficult. So when you come to watch this service, you see that the flowers are in place and you see everything just as it should be. You miss out on seeing Vivian and I contemplating whether the lectern should be here and the flowers there and you miss all that and you get just the finished product. But it's that time before we arrive that can be oh so important. So this new series, To the Promised Land, looking at um, Exodus chapters 15 to 20, is a time before the people arrive in the Promised Land. In fact, it's only um, this part of the story where they arrive at Mount Sinai and receive the Ten Commandments. But for many um, of us, uh, for a while, this for many of us is an iconic story. We know the story of Exodus. God's people being delivered mightily from the Egyptians and coming out of Egypt and into the promised land. This is the second book of the Bible. For many of us, this is an iconic story, but, but for some, you may not know um, all the bits and pieces. You may not have even picked up a Bible before. There may be someone watching today that does not know this story. So I'm glad that some of it was read to us by the Bowles family. I appreciated that. There was some really good expression. And then thank you, Peter, uh, for the reading. I was tempted to ask Peter to sing it because it is a song, but um, I'm sure he's glad that he just had to read it this morning. But this was the song that the people sung. This was the song that the people sung. And so the promised land, Exodus chapters 15 to 20, but today we are looking at chapter 15. And and we're calling it Through the Waters. And it's a song written after the great escape through the waters, through the sea. And God piles up the waters so that the Israelites walk through on dry ground. And then as the Egyptians follow, the waters come crashing down over them, destroying the Egyptians. And this too is an iconic story, but... But again, for those that have not seen or heard of these stories before, uh, let me very briefly, very briefly, just share just some of the background to how we got to here, how we got to the waters where the Israelites are there, um, backed up against the waters and the Egyptians pursuing them. How did we get here? Well, the story in the Bible begins in a garden. And in the garden... Humanity is with God. Humanity is with God in the garden. But while in the garden, humanity decides it will decide what's right and wrong. In a sense, they forget that they are creatures created. They want to decide what their purpose is. They want to decide what is good and what is evil. And after this disobedience, they are sent out from the garden... And so now, humanity is in the world apart from God. Humanity is in the world apart from God. And, and, and this probably needs some clarification. What do I mean apart from God? 
um, even as our um, uh, theme today also incorporates this season of creation, um, uh, we know that God is all around us. He's everywhere. The scriptures themselves say the highest heavens cannot contain you. That's a way of saying God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. So what do I mean? How can you be in the world and apart from God? Well, maybe in the same sense that you could be in a room with somebody but not know that person. But then let's say there's another person in that room and you do know them and you're in a relationship with them. Well, now you are in the room with that person in a very different way than you are to that person that's a stranger. And the moment I use that example, what we're talking about um, is, is something relational. There's a way of being with someone in a relational sense. Humanity is in the world. And for many, they are apart from God. And, and not only does humanity suffer the effects of being apart from God, but all of creation the scriptures say all of creation groans. It's almost as though creation itself was thrown um, into the consequences and facing the consequences of that disobedience. Creation itself is broken. And this life apart from God is one of oppression and chaos. It's broken. There's confusion, there's disorder. But even in this state, in this world apart from God, God desires that relationship. He longs to be connected. And so he calls back people into a relationship. And so we hear the stories of God calling Abraham and then after Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. And then Jacob has 12 sons. Those 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. But before that, um, Joseph, one of the sons, is sold into slavery by his brothers into Egypt but Joseph rises to a place of prominence. And then after that, after forgiving his brothers, his brothers and his father Jacob come to Egypt and they become numerous, they become a nation. But long after uh, Joseph has died, a pharaoh comes up who doesn't know Joseph and he enslaves this now nation that is in Egypt, the Hebrews or the Israelites. And then... God raises up Moses because God is still longing for a relationship with humanity. And so he has called a people through whom blessing is going to come to the whole world. And so Moses then, after performing great wonders and signs, brings the people out of Egypt. And when they think they're free, they find themselves against the sea and then all of a sudden Egypt, the Pharaoh changes his mind and comes pursuing them. And with their backs against the water and the Egyptians coming upon them, they're afraid and they say, why'd you bring us out here, Moses? But it's here that God saves them through the waters. It's here that God again performs a mighty sign. And they're saved by God. And we'll talk about that and we'll look at that in just a moment more deeply. But... After the saving through the waters, they're looking towards the promised land. And that's what this series is about. To the promised land with God. The promised land is about being with God again, which is how it was in the garden. In the garden, humanity was with God. And God longs for that relationship to be restored. 
And so it's to the promised land with God. But you see, they're not in the promised land yet. And that's what these chapters are about. They're about God revealing who he is. 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They've been among a nation that have believed in many gods. The God of the water, the God of the sun, the God of this and the God of that. And they might wonder about their God, the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Who is this God? Where is this God? Well, this God has come. Is this God able to save? He's brought them out of Egypt, but now here they are again with their backs against the sea. Can this God save? Who is this God? And indeed, this God does save. And that's what chapter 15 is all about. It's about singing about who this God is and how he's revealed himself. Because isn't that how we enter into a relationship? We get to know someone? Well, God is revealing himself. He's making himself known. And so Moses and Miriam and the Israelites sing this song. And why do we sing? Why do we worship? We sing to remember. We sing to declare who God is. We worship to remember who God is, but not just know him, but to trust in who he says he is. And so what does this song reveal? Well, at the beginning, it says that this song, um, in verse 2, it says, I will sing to the Lord. And at the end, it says, the Lord reigns. This song is about the Lord. And right in the middle, in verse 11, it reads, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? That's right in the centre of the song. Who is like the Lord? Who among the gods is like you? Well, that's a rhetorical question. There's no one like this God. And God has already shown himself through these signs, these signs in Egypt, these plagues that took place. They were showing God's power. And some of those um, signs and wonders, um, the Egyptians worshipped the God of the water and the God of the sun. Well, God was the one that had power over the water and power over the sun. And, so some, and you'll see that the plagues and the signs were actually showing God's power over these other gods that were not gods at all. And so who among the gods is like God? Who's like the Lord? No one. No one is like the Lord. No one is like Yahweh. And so this song tells us about who God is and there's so many things we could pick up on but I just want to pick out a couple of things. And so we see early on in the song that our God is a warrior saviour. I've put those two ideas together. He's not just saviour, he's a warrior saviour. He's a God who will fight to save us. It says in verse 2, The Lord is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my Father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. As I said before, some of us can't wait to arrive. But God is actually preparing his people for the promised land. It's not too different today that God might be preparing the church for the new heavens and the new earth. That we are waiting 
And here in Victoria, we know about waiting, don't we? We're all waiting to get out of lockdown. But could I suggest to you that God is revealing himself even now. He's revealing himself. He's making himself known. Even while we wait, God is always revealing himself because God desires that relationship to be restored and he's making himself known. He's making himself known through the waters. I don't know what your waters are, but through the waters, God is making himself known. In the Bible, the waters are symbolic of chaos, of disorder. They're untamable, the waters. And so when God pushes the waters aside and allows his people to walk through, it's like pushing back disorder, pushing back chaos. God has purposes for this earth. God has purposes for humanity. And he's making himself known as the God who is all-powerful over all disorder, over all oppression. He is a warrior saviour, mighty to save. Who is going to save them from the Egyptians? Well, we heard it read, actually, from... um, when the bowls has um, read to us uh, the story just before this song, the Egyptians are coming and the people are freaking out saying, why'd you bring us out here, Moses, to die? And Moses tells them to not be afraid. And this was one of my first memory verses, Exodus 14, 14, which reads, the Lord will fight for you, you need only to be still. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Remember, God's making himself known, preparing his people for what's yet to come. There are going to be other nations that will want to destroy and oppress God's people. And what does God say to them? The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. How does he reveal himself? As a warrior saviour. Three times it says in the song, my right arm, my right arm, the Lord's right arm. And that's symbolic of the strength and the power and the might of God. He is our warrior saviour. He not only saves, but he's mighty to save. He will fight for us. Is that how we see our God today? When we watch the news, when we read the papers, is our God a warrior saviour to us? Is that how we see him? And what is he saving us out of? Out of this oppression, out of this slavery, out of chaos, out of confusion and disorder. I don't know what your waters are, but God is mighty to save. And another powerful point that this song makes from chapter 15 is our God is a sanctuary establishing God. I'm sorry if that sounds convoluted, sanctuary establishing God. I was trying to think of a more succinct way of putting it, but in the end I decided I liked that. He's a sanctuary establishing God. What does that mean? Well, the sanctuary was the place where God dwelt. So first it was the tent and the tabernacle, which we're about to hear as the stories unfold in Exodus. God will give them instructions for how to build a tent or a tabernacle where he will dwell. The tent and the tabernacle will become the temple 
We've had three weeks of listening um, to Andrew preach to us um, on the prophet Haggai. And so we've heard about the temple. And we heard from Andrew that the temple was, was a symbol. It was foreshadowing the true temple, the true meeting place with God, which was to be Jesus. The fullness of God dwelt in Jesus. He was the true temple. But that it went further than that. That God was going to dwell in us by his spirit. That God's people would be a sanctuary. And so this is a sanctuary establishing God. And so in verse 17, it reads, You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. Think about the language there. It's speaking about something that's about to happen. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. It goes from using the future tense to talking about the past tense, but this is still something yet to happen, yet God speaks as though it's already done, or the song, sorry, speaks as though it's already done. And that's how it is with God at times. As we wait... Even as we wait, if we can be still, the Lord will fight for you, for you. You need only to be still. If we could be still, this is not a passive action. Being still is believing in the revelation of God, trusting in who God says that he is. When we are still, the reality of what is promised becomes a reality now. When we believe and trust in who God says that he is, it's as though heaven is coming on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's bringing forward the future realities. Yes, we will still wait for the absolute fulfillment of what God has when Christ returns. But God's purposes for us in saving us is that we would bring this blessing to all the world, to all humanity and to creation itself. That we would be acting in a way that's bringing God's salvation, bringing his order, bringing his healing. And the degree to which we believe this, we then become a sanctuary for God. God dwells in us more richly and more fully as we believe and trust in who he is. I mean, a simpler way, if I really wanted to talk about our sanctuary establishing God, it's just saying God is bent on intimacy with his people. Can you see how important this is? That God is revealing who he is. He's a warrior saviour. He's a God who has saved his people and he's a God bent on intimacy with them. Why is this important? Because otherwise we misunderstand what the promise of the promised land is. It's not just rest from our labours. Some people have an idea of heaven as though it's some eternal vacation. And, and they almost have that picture as though you, know, you could have that idea of heaven without God himself. But this is the promised land with God. This is the new heavens and the new earth with God. This is a God bent on an intimate relationship with humanity. 
we have been given an opportunity to understand this, to soak in this. It's like when we sing the songs that um, we sung a song just before, You're Beautiful. Is that true? Do we believe that as we sing it? Do we sing those songs, You're Beautiful, and mean it? Do we experience it? Do we, do we really, are those words just soppy words? Or do we mean it? And if we don't mean it, can we mean it? Can we exercise our faith? Can we sing the song till all of a sudden we understand the truth of it? Our God is a mighty warrior, saviour. And he's a sanctuary establishing God, a God bent on intimacy with us. We're called to understand this because the degree to which we understand it It's that degree to which God works in and through his people to continue bringing this blessing to all of humanity and to all the world. When people leave a conversation with you, do they feel heavier or lighter? We are called to bring people into freedom. The degree to which we trust God in the way that he's revealed himself, that's the degree to which God dwells in us more fully and the degree to which people meet God through us. God wants the Israelites to understand this. He didn't just save them because they were extra special. He saved them for the purpose of bringing blessing to all the world. And even now, he has saved the church that we might be a people who bring blessing to all the world. When people are in your presence... Do they experience freedom? Freedom from oppression, freedom from confusion and disorder. God longs to dwell in you richly and for you to bring his presence to the world. God was preparing his people to enter the promised land. But the Bible teaches us they never entered that rest fully. Hebrews teaches us that. So Christ came the true temple. And Christ's death on the cross was a mightier wonder than the parting of the seas. If you could imagine, if you could really imagine the seas being parted, the cross was a mightier wonder and the empty tomb was mightier yet. And it's not just freedom from slavery or a nation but it's freedom from sin, death, and all evil. Jesus' victory was a mightier victory. He was our warrior saviour. And he is our sanctuary establishing God. He establishes a sanctuary in us for God to dwell. He is our sanctuary establishing God. Jesus is the means through which God brings us into an intimate relationship with himself for the purposes of bringing blessing and healing to humanity and all of creation. So let me ask you, how is the Lord revealing himself to you through the waters right now? I don't know what your waters are, but we are all experiencing something together, being in lockdown, 
and that brings with it a whole variety of different challenges. How is God revealing himself to you through the waters? On our path, on our road to the promised land, God is always revealing himself, making himself known. How is he doing that for you now? Who is your God? Who is the Lord to you? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for making yourself known. Thank you for making yourself known in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for confirming your love and the reality of who you are through the indwelling of your Holy Spirit. Enable us to see you. Enable us to continue experiencing and believing and trusting in who you say you are so that we may bring blessing to this world in your name and for your glory. Amen.